This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com and the Radio.com app. For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins in the NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. Yeah, yeah. With Ken Laird from the Greg Hill Morning Show. That's evidently what Ken Laird wants you to believe. And WEEI.com Bruins writer Matt Kalman. Everything gonna be all right? <laughs> Place him up for some bees talk right now. It's the Skate Pod. Some Escape, I'll give it a B, B plus. On WEEI. Oh, this is a big time show. It is a big time show. Well, welcome to the Skate Podcast. Happy New Year. This is Matt Kalman. Uh, normally you would hear Ken Laird at the top of this uh, episode, but Ken is on assignment in Montreal as usual. We're not quite sure what he does up there. Maybe he spies on the Canadians, but it uh, seems like every holiday season he goes north of the border. So uh, make of that what you will. Uh, as always, you can subscribe to the Skate Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Downcast, Radio.com app. You can just go on WI.com, click on the links, listen to the episodes. We hope last week you enjoyed our conversation with Steve Shields, uh, talking about Johnny Beecher, talking about some 2003 Bruins. Just such a glorious year to recap. So uh, we hope you enjoyed that. We hope you enjoyed Bob McKenzie last week. And uh, this episode is going to be a little different. It's a recap of the decade. It's a look ahead to the next decade. What does it hold in store for the Boston Bruins? We have another special guest this week, Mike Loftus of the Patriot Ledger. 30 years plus covering the Bruins at the Ledger. He's covered the Sutters, Mike Keenan, Mike O'Connell, all the clowns and superstars and everything that's come and gone. Old building, new building, he's seen it all. So uh, usually he goes on fancy podcasts that have guests like Tony Hale from Veep and Arrested Development, but he's lowered his standards this time around. He's going to join the Skate Podcast in just a minute here. Um, like I said, this is a recap of the decade, a look ahead, but let's, let's start with the recap of the decade. Look at this decade. They won the Cup. They went to two other Stanley Cup Finals. Tim Thomas and Tuka Rask win Vezina's. Patrice Bergeron racks up a bunch of Selkies. They've only had two coaches. They've only had two GMs. Tukaras became the all-time leader in goalie wins for the Bruins. Patrice Bergeron played his thousandth game. Brad Marchand became a 40-goal scorer. David Pasternak this year is probably going to be a 50-goal scorer. Everyone complains nonstop in this town. But this team is in a, a glory year for this 100-year-old almost franchise. It's just amazing to think. Uh how do you sum up the the, the, the decade, Mike Loftus? Well, I mean, it, it's interesting. You know, you, you talk about, all right, so they won the Cup and they went to the other. I mean, to me, it's 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 two distinct eras, really, okay. right? I mean, the, you know, the decade starts with, you know, the, the, the ascent of, of Peter Chiarelli as the GM and, and Claude Julian as sure. the coach. And, you know, that, that, you know, obviously the highlight is the Stanley Cup, but then the 2013, you know, then... The, you know, then it levels off or the descent, right. which is for two years, right? Which is two years of ninety something points, right? And now, you know, then the then the ascent of now it's the it's the Don Sweeney and the um, mm-hmm. and and you mentioned the you know it's Don Sweeney, Bruce Cassidy as the coach. You mentioned the the Rask. You know, I mean that's another thing too. That this right. is a long, long stretch with him right. as yeah. number one goalie. Right, basically two goalies in a decade, which right. is crazy for any team. Never mind the Bruins who have gone through millions of them. Right. I mean, at least there was. <laughs> You know, kind of like a switch in number one centers. Right. I mean, I think we started kind of. I don't know if Savard counts, but sure. you know, I mean, Krejci 
and Bergeron to me were pretty equal. Yeah, you know, for a number of years, right. that's, that's not the case anymore. That's a, that's the funny thing. People always forget that. I mean, they complain about David Krejci how much he makes, but he was the number one center on one of the top teams in the National Hockey League, and he signed for market value at the time. There's nothing anyone there was you can't go back to the day David Krejci signed and and find anyone that said, oh, this is a dumb deal. Right, and same thing with Rask. Right, you know, I mean that that was the going and you know, I mean Rask. Kind of had him over barrel because they have not developed a goalie right. since since Tuka Rask right. came here. So, right. and then if you look at Tuka, he he bet on himself that year, took the one year deal. I mean, that's maybe another one of Peter Chiarelli's failings is that he didn't be more proactive to lock up Tuka before he had the Vezina year. And next thing you know, he's signing this long contract, and, and they had to pay him top dollar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, goaltending has been a funny thing, yeah. but I mean, for ten years to have like you say two number ones right. is you know for a team that really hasn't done the best job. You know, making goalies. Right. Um, they've, they've also they've done all right. And, and I think the unique thing too, maybe with Tuca, and that he's been the goalie for so long here, is the type of person he is, player he is, as, as opposed to being just a goalie. I mean, you've seen some whacked out goalies. I know you've told the stories about some of these guys. I mean, uh, how unique is it to see the, the, the person that Tuca Rask is? I mean, you're able to deal with him, right? I mean, how does he compare to some of the goalies you compare? You, uh, you know, Thomas Tim Thomas was was interesting because you know I mean he had that crazy career track you know sure. in and out of the in and out of the continent before. I, I wouldn't say he ever was actually difficult to deal with, right? But he was a quirky guy, <laughs> you know. I mean, I, I think I think people sometimes would feel better about Tur- Tuca if he was a little bit more well, quirky, you right? Know? But it, but he's not, you know, and and. You know, he's very even keel. Everyone hates that expression. Right. But it's true. Um, he admits his failings um, and doesn't sound like he's ready to, you know, injure himself because he has a bad game. So, I mean, he's he's been he's been fine to deal with, you know. Yeah. Um, Thomas was just a different, you know. I mean, I'm thinking of some of the stories I did on Thomas, you know, before he really came in, you know, the... You know, sitting in trees with a bow and arrow, waiting right. for you know things like that, and working on his own equipment, and yep. you know things. Yeah, like used that. to used to bring his equipment home. Yes. On game days, mm-hmm. we would see him on a game day taking his equipment home, and like the first a couple times I would see that, I'd go, "Oh, you got traded today, Timmy?" You know, it was a funny joke, but then he, he would do it every time, so yeah. it, the joke went with died. Yeah. But yeah, there was always these quirks. I mean, you know, you go back. I, mean, I know you, you loved you loved like guys like Jeff Hackett. And guys like, and our, and our guest from last week, Steve Shields. I mean, you've had a lot of great experience. Byron Defoe, I'm sure, was one of your favorites. Byron Defoe actually wasn't bad. Okay. But, you know, Byron, but Byron, he, you know, when things when things started to go bad, he started to go a little bad, too. Yeah. You know, he got very frustrated. Byron was, you know, he had great years here. And it's wrong decade, of course. But right. Very, very focused on, like, statistics and okay. stuff like that and I saw probably So he was ahead of his time. Yes, right. You know, he was kind of like you know, he he would always be looking at the sheet and questioning right. things like that and knowing exactly what his save percentage was and <laughs> things like that. So, you know. And then you go to Tuka Rask who probably doesn't even know what, what team they were playing or or how many saves he had at any game because he never seems to know what's going on except for what happened like two seconds ago. I mean I think now that, I mean we're we're talking after a game that they should have beat the Kings and they didn't and you know, I mean, I think now maybe he plays along a little bit with what's being said about him because mm. Bruce sounded a little unhappy with his game. 
he was asked about you know the tying goal. He's like, no, I didn't see it. Right. But I'm still supposed to save it. No, you know that to me is like. Right. Uh, does he really believe that? Okay, maybe he does. So actually, that you bring that up, we can we can jump ahead a little bit to the look ahead a little bit part of this, just to say, just the Tuka Rask part, because actually Ken Laird a couple of weeks ago did ask me and about this Bruce Cassidy throwing him under the bus sort of type of thing against the Kings. Then we've seen it happen in the past. Bruce doesn't necessarily call players out, but he, he, he never shies away from calling Tuca out. Uh, Tuca will be in his last year of his contract next year, still playing at a high level. Do you think that'll factor into his decision whether he's going to stay with the Bruins? Uh, I, I I don't really. I don't. You know. I don't know how much it really bothers him. Yeah. You know that, that this. You know that this happens. Um, and I think Bruce. You know. I think maybe we've. We've seen it a little bit more, you know, this year about like being specific about guys mm-hmm. that that aren't playing well. He recently did it like on the road trip um, in December with Charlie Coyle. Okay, you know, are you getting enough from Coyle? Right. You know, first word, no, not really. You know, and we're you know middle of the lineup, naming mm-hmm. people. Um, didn't seem to like Erho Vakanainen, right. you know, too much on the way out the door. Right. You know, he's never read. You know, sure. So, and you know, this Bruce. He does have a little bit more security now right. here. You know, he's yeah. he's got an extension. Right. Maybe we see a little bit of a change in right. him. Um, and he, he's always, I think you'll agree, he's been a great coach to deal with. Right. But that kind of has, you know, been missing. You know? Sure. I mean, he'll he'll um, he might start talking about one guy, as we know, and he'll end up talking about six. Right. But you know, sometimes he's like right. stuck to it a little bit more. Yeah. So actually, that that Tuka is a good segue into a little look back again to think to, to me. I mean, we talk about the decade, how great it was. You talked about the two different eras, and I think the turning point for that first era, that Peter Shirelli Claude era, that led to the cup is the fact that after they lose that 2010 series to Philadelphia, everybody wants them to break the team up. Everybody wants them to fire the coach, trade the, the core players, and he he doesn't. He keeps the coach, Peter Shirelli. He trades for Nathan Horton. And they they come back and win the cup, and I just think to me that that is part of what makes this core so magical. And I'm talking Chara, Bergeron, Krejci, really, and you know, with, you know, with Marshall maybe a little bit emerging, but those three guys that I mean, talk about you know, they talk about this game at a time or put things in the past. I mean, for them to turn the page on that, not turn on the coach, not turn on the GM, not look for trades, that to me is just one of the monumental stories in sports. Never mind hockey. Yeah, I mean. And- you know, another another factor in there. I mean, what kind of a leader maybe was Shara? Right. You know, and, you know we don't we don't get to see that mm-hmm. very much. But you know, how much how much was he involved in? in you know, and, and and Bergeron by then was was kind of a mature player. Right. You know, how much did that group? You know help them stay the course. Mm-hmm. Maybe make any recommendations. Right. To, you know that they stay the sure. course. You know, I mean, we've we've never seen anything like that, right? right. I mean, that was just like stunning. But um, you know, there, there were there were a lot of guys and guys who have you know since moved on. Luch, you know, stands right. out. Yeah, say what you want about him. I don't think I knew a guy that wanted to win more right. and wanted to succeed more. Absolutely. So they had they did have a really good. It might have been more like you know, like you said, monumental. But I, I think a lot of it was like actually in the room. Mm-hmm. You know, like a bunch of guys that like you know. You know, please don't break us up. <laughs> right. You know, we we screwed up, but we can do it. Right. You know? So it's 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 just amazing to think that, and then people look back at that now still as a negative. They they bring it up as Tuka Rask choking in the playoffs, which if you looked at his numbers was amazing. And then you know everyone points to the David Krejci injury is costing them. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, McQuaid, Seidenberg, Stewart, three of your top six at least, were out as well. And, and is Mark Savard playing and Mark Savard, damage, And Mark Savard right? is playing in the total days. Yes. And if they had lost in seven, but it had been three, uh, two to zero, oh, mm-hmm. and then lost in seven, no one would be flipping out. But because it was three zero oh, and they lost four straight, then it becomes oh, this is the utter collapse. Tuca's a choker. It's just amazing to think that that. But the, meanwhile, that ends up being the turning point. Like I said, to them bonding the way they did. Well, the interesting thing too was I mean, did, did so that was um, Peter Laviolette coaching those right. Flyers. I, they had a great team. They had a really, right. really talented team. And I remember being very, very surprised the Bruins were ahead 3 nothing. Sure. But, you know, they, yes, they should win that right. series. But Laviolette was, like, probably the one, mm-hmm. you know, looking at getting fired, you know, and then 10 days later, he's a big hero. And then a year later, he does get fired because the Bruins sweep. <laughs> exactly. It's crazy. And, and, and you think about the, the not only were the Bruins losing players in that series, but the Flyers had, the Bruins took the lead, the Flyers without Simon Gagne. Who would go on to be one of the greatest, you know, Bruins tryout <laughs> signings in the history of hockey? But anyway, he comes back and sparks that team. I mean, everything was just—it was just all—it all changed on a balance so quickly. And and you know, I guess he, you know, credit to Peter Shirelli and like you said, the, the the leadership group, whoever spoke up to say this team isn't as bad as losing four straight makes it look. I mean, if they had been swept in four straight, you wouldn't be complaining. Anything but losing a 3-0 lead, and they wouldn't have been, you know, lambasted the way they were. And, uh, you know, then you go ahead to 2011, and, and Shirelli makes the trades. And I don't know about you, but I didn't really know too much about Chris Kelly. I, know, I, think, I think you kind of liked him as an Ottawa senator. But to be honest, yeah, I, I remember that night pretty. We thought that we thought they were going to get Thomas Cavalier right, exactly. that night because right. they had played the Leafs. Right. I left the building, and I see that there's a trade. I come racing back. It was like a movie. I go tam- pulling up in front of the TD Garden, like tires smoking. And I look at the Chris Kelly. Right. Like, I mean, I didn't really have that much of a frame of reference with right. him. Which I thought was bad because they played the Senators all the time. Exactly. And, you know? Right. Um, yeah. So they add Kelly, and then obviously it gets closer to the deadline. They add Peverly. Another guy that kind of flew under the radar for me. I mean, to me, anybody scoring 20 goals to the Atlanta Thrashers, that's not that impressive. Um, then, obviously, the Cabaret thing, which, you know, we can argue whether it was worth it. I still think it was because, you know, with Stephen Camp for injured, and you know, would, you have, would you have had Shane Knighty in that third pair? But to think that this is what I always think is they, they lost those games in Vancouver, and they just didn't look like the same team that they were at home. Mm-hmm. And Luongo was out of his mind in those games in Vancouver. And, I mean, did you have a feeling that they were going to win that game at all? Because I certainly didn't. Game seven? Game seven. No, no. I mean, there was no, there was like no evidence to suggest that. I mean, if I have it right, I mean, they couldn't score any goals. Right. Anytime they played right. in Vancouver, they couldn't help but score goals. <laughs> right. And it's like, well, you know, that's, that's what you play all year for. Right. We hear it, every, you know, for the game seven. And for Luongo to let in, you know, like, a bad first goal. Right. That threw them, the Canucks, I think, way more than it should have. It's like, all right, it's inevitable. It's one to nothing. But right. I think that that really shook them yeah. up. And um, no, but I didn't. I didn't. Really right. Think that and they would and our, our friend Mick Collagio will always remember that we were sitting about ten yards apart from each other in the uh, press box in Vancouver, and the time's running down. I just looked at him with the most ridiculous look on my face like I can't believe I'm seeing this and he had the same look on his face and we both just kind of shrugged because it just didn't seem real to think that this team could that team could have taken them down well it's interesting because as I was writing down like moments I yeah. remember I mean you know of course there's moments in games 
But I will always remember you sitting to my left. That's right. Game seven, going into overtime against Montreal in the Absolutely. first round. And you turned to me and said, ah, oh, it's too bad the Claw is going to get fired. And it was, if, you know. If, if you think about the fact that they, oh they lost to Philly, and then if they lose to Montreal with home ice advantage, oh, yeah. you know that they're going to have to do something. Absolutely. And it, I mean, I, it, well, you know, clearly, we, we both are on the Claude bandwagon. We were always against firing him to begin with. But at that point, they were just going to have to do something to shake it. To, because, like, you know, so much of what was missing the year before. Right. You know, like the you know, injured guys. And right. You know, McQuaid was in that. Series. Sure. You know, I mean, it, it, was, it was a better team, and they, they you know. Yeah. It was, they might have. Right. It was, a, it was a question of it. It reminded me of, like, when I actually started. You know, the Bruins would have better rosters than the mm-hmm. Canadians. Sure. But the Canadians had Roy. You know, now this year, you know, that year, it was, right. you know, they, they had Price and Prices, you know. Like, right. He was a great goalie already, you know. Yep. A very good goal against on game, you know, in the overtime. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but, you know, oh well. Right. And of course, we have to always give credit. You know, Nathan Horton, great goal, but we always give credit on the Skate Podcast, and especially Mike Loves. We always give credit to Adam McQuaid and his pinch down the right wall to set it up because he never did anything like that ever. <laughs> exactly. I, that is a blast. If you go back and you watch that game, it's so much fun because. I wish I could remember who it was, but the Canadians sent somebody out specifically for a face-off in that zone, and he got thrown out at the face-off, and the Bruins won it and kept it in and kept it alive. I mean, if the guy goes out and does what he's supposed to, right? You know, maybe that game's still going on, Matt. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, there are so many other great moments, and we don't have enough time to touch on. I mean, to me, 2013 Game Seven Toronto is the most exhilarating moment because. Not being a fan, but just being a observer, and the way that, that I never heard the building that loud, mm-hmm. and the, the time between the tying goal and then overtime, and then the time between the regulation and overtime, the fans sing, and no one left their seat, mm-hmm. and they were singing, and you just couldn't breathe because you couldn't believe what happened. Because talk about another time where we thought, you know, I, I thought at least Claude was going to get the axe. I mean, you lose that series to Toronto. That's kind of a, you know, it's kind of maybe the end of an era type thing. They pull it out. I mean, what, do you have another moment like that other than them winning the cup that stands out that really... It's a similar kind of a thing, but you know, um, the last comeback, well, a more recent one, Jake DeBrus's goal, mm-hmm. that was one of the most exciting plays that I had ever seen because that was like a, you know, it was a, you know first of all, it's a kid. He's going a million miles an hour. I think there's some you know point in there yeah. where he realizes... Whether he shoots and it goes in, or whether he shoots, he's going to get annihilated. And he did, and he didn't care. And it was just—it was such a fast right. play. And that was Game Seven. It was Game Seven, of, not last. Okay, eighteen. Yes, right. I thought that was a. Yep. I thought that was a. You know, that one right. always like sticks. And, up. and it's great too that we both picked moments that terrorize the Toronto Maple Leafs because that's another thing the Skate Podcast specializes in is just ragging on the Maple Leafs. So anything that we can do against that. It's funny too because that first comeback, the one you know, the, I think people remember more. You know. That was Randy Carlyle, right? And right. They, you know, and then that was supposed to be like such a big growing experience right. for the Leafs, who you know immediately sort of fell apart right. and had to bring in, you know, the, yeah. The that's genius. a whole. That's a whole other podcast. Is if yeah. the Leafs win that game, what happens to Toronto Maple Leafs history? Right. I mean, that's just a whole other yeah. ball, ball of wax. You brought up Lucic earlier. To me. Uh, he really was one of the four or five defining players of this decade for the Bruins. I mean, Cam Neely was joined us on this podcast, talked about how hard it was to trade him and what a huge turning point that was, but clearly they didn't want to part with that guy. Um, 
best interview for sure. Absolutely. I mean, he was he was the greatest guy to talk to. He talk about he's the only player who openly admits that he followed the league, knew every stat, was always friendly. He and he would my favorite thing about him was that if things sucked, he would still talk. He'd always come out. He'd look dour. He would talk about his eight game goalless drought. He would talk to me the time that he got busted a little bit with the issue with his wife and we had a discussion mm-hmm. about that i mean he did not shy away from the media and, and to me um a guy who you know when you look back years from now you know i mean it's he's probably not in the terry o'reilly hang your number in the rafters right. thing but if they ever do get around to we have to do a ring of honor or something i mean they hopefully they never forget him he yeah me too and, and he he was he was so much fun i mean and you know like again like you know in times of trouble too you know, there was the time that he got into beef in Vancouver, and right. you know, he he was. Even as he got older, he was still a little young, and you know, I'm never going to Vancouver again, and you know, <laughs> right. you know, repeatedly uh, unprovoked, unprovoked, and then, then people get mad at him for saying that I'm sorry. You know, yeah, he right. just he was just like a big, really like kind of lovable kid. It's unbelievable. I you know, and, and to think of a secondary guy, I wish we had had more Mark Savard, sure, because he was he was tremendous to talk to on a lot. But Jake DeBrusque, yeah, to no. me has a little bit right. of luch in him, and yeah. like he just is died in the wool hockey. I don't yeah. know how much else he really thinks of. Exactly, and that that goes to the. The other thing I put on the, our list of talking points was the most annoying player is clearly Johnny Boychuk. Uh, like, l- like to stick his re- pretend he was a reporter and stick himself <laughs> into every scrum. You know, the first 20 times you did it, Johnny, it was funny. But then you started doing it every time, and, you know, it's enough. And plus, he was way too close with hags, and that was kind of annoying, <laughs> too. So, you know, there's just so many strikes against the guy, who was a great player. You know, he's a nice guy, but, you know, clearly annoying. Great story, too. You know, I mean, like right. five years in the minors right. and come up and with playing it. forward. Right. But, um,. <laughs> You know, it's funny. There was an incident a couple of years ago where was it Kretschy got like teeth? Yeah, right. All oh, right, he and, was the one and, that picked the teeth. Up. And and Kretschy's response to that was like, yeah, he's just weird. <laughs> you know, so I mean, I didn't, you know, I didn't get too annoyed. Sagan, yeah, really annoyed me. Right, and it's it was funny that again another line of succession. Dougie Hamilton, right, toward the end, right, got really really frustrating to deal with, and and uh, but but you know, I mean. I, I well, what was it with Dougie? Let's tell the people. At the end, remember the, it was the breakup day? Yes. Before he was going into free agency. Right. And we were asking him if he thought he'd be back. And normal players would say, we'll see what happens. Or right. we'll, and what did he say? Well, I asked him. He was he was limited by injury or something right. in that. And I just said, you know, now that it's done, can you, you know, can you say what it was? And he said, I don't know. <laughs> and just the... Just kind of like the expression. He did just kind of have a smirky way of... Right. And I said, geez, that must have been really tough, Dougie. I mean, like, there you are. You can't play right in the playoffs, and, and you don't even know what's wrong with you. And he just, like, kind of sneered back, which I guess I had coming, but, right. you know. Well, just to show you that, you know, it's not just the guy wanted to go to museums that maybe rubbed people the wrong way, because we don't know that he, he didn't talk to his general manager the same way. Yeah. And it could rub people the wrong way, and maybe even his teammates, and maybe there was a reason why, especially here in Boston, we know that there's a certain type of person that has to play on this team, and they're not going to tolerate nonsense. I always found it kind of interesting that, you know, if you, if you go back to Sagan, you know, the, the media relations always had, you know, kind of controlled, right. you know, how much he talked and the for whatever reason, they let Dougie alone. You know, I mean, they never, yeah. you know, they never, so I don't know, was that like, did he tell him he didn't want that? Did right. they decide they didn't want to bother? 
it was great for a couple of years because he was a very, you know he was a very good player sure. for a few years and he was always there right to talk to but then you know as things started to not go the way he wanted right um, he became more difficult to deal with right well not to, not to get negative on this pocket but mm-hmm. I, I did want to talk about the prospects that were supposed to make it but didn't and then maybe talk about somebody that surprised us that by doing by, by making it I mean clearly the Ryan Spooner thing didn't work. And, I, and I'm surprised. And I'm, I, I never necessarily liked him, but I always said, he's got speed, he's got hands, he's going to put up points in this league. And so who's, who would be the guy for you if not? If not Spooner, Spooner, I actually hadn't really thought too much about him. And I guess because he did pan out for a while. Right. You know, I mean, he was a productive player in the league, and he, you know, kind of the forward version of, of Tory Krug. You know, I mean, just the way he saw things on a power play. Right. You know, you just can't have a guy that can never play any defense, can never exactly. win a face-off. Um, and, and maybe I'll make people at your, at your alma mater happy here because I'll go both ways. But uh, JFK, yeah. you know, the, the, like the mania for this guy, I just never really saw somebody who right. was going to play in the NHL. When I watched him in college, you can't always tell that much, right. and I can see what people liked. But watching him in Providence, it was like, really, I'm like, I must be missing something. I must be apparent. Maybe I didn't because right. I don't really think he ever came that close to right. establishing himself. Not in the NHL, for sure. And I don't know that he ever will. Right, you know? exactly. Um, but on the flip side, a guy yeah. who did, yeah. you know, pan out that I really did was is Grizzly. Absolutely, I, I, I got him written down yeah. too. He's the one. I never would have. I never would have thought. Right. Um, the only one that you know, Spooner's a good one. I, I don't think Malcolm Subban really. Right. He was know. supposed to be number one. It looks right. like he's going to just be a backup yeah. at best. And, and it's kind of not his fault. I think the Bruins admitted back then you know, that it was kind of a reach. Right. He hadn't played goalie that yeah. much. You know, and, well, it was, it, yeah. The, I mean, we, that, a whole other podcast is Peter Shirelli's draft record. So, And that's one of the highlights. I mean, not drafting an NHL player for two years is probably the, the worst the, you know, the worst violation here. And then, you know, but then, there, you know, and I, I know we're running out, but, you know, but the 2014 draft. Yeah. They only have five picks. Right. Pasternak, Donato, who becomes Coyle. Right. Heinen and Bjork. Right. So Part it, of the balance. Make it, so basically, know? it's not necessarily Shirley's track record as drafting. It's picking people to help him with the draft, well, I guess. I think that was a Gretzky then, draft. Right, exactly. Keith Gretzky draft, right. and then it went to yeah. Wayne Smith. Right, or, yeah. So that's those, that's those, those bad ones. Are. I mean, I just had honorable mention on the one that didn't pan out was Zach Trotman, a seventh round pick, the last pick in the draft. So you're not expecting a lot for him, but he really was like supposed to be this part of this next generation of defensemen that was going to be at least the third pair of puck mover. And now he's just kind of a back and forth guy, AHL, NHL with Pittsburgh or whoever he's with now. And so um, that, that, that kind of disappointed me because I just watching him in development camp and stuff. I thought he would he was going to make yeah. it, you know. Well, I mean, and it's interesting too when you celebrate your ten and a half year in anniversary on the skate podcast yeah. and you do this next year with right. someone there'll be a whole bunch of guys you know is um is Sanishin gonna right. be, you know like that that whole first round yep. crew from that yep. year exactly you know, right now it's it's uh but it's jake yep and it's brandon carlo yeah you know but um you know the, the, right that's that's a chance to set yourself up for a really right long exactly time and it's a make or break year for some of the for Zaboro and Sanishin. they're gonna have to decide yep. whether they're gonna you know, obviously they'll probably resign them because it's easy enough to keep the RFAs. But you know, how much do you pay them, or do, or do you maybe try to find a new home for them right. if and they're not going to work here? But you know, Lozon's in there too, yep, um, because you know, I mean, we don't know is Krug going to be back? Right, and Chara has and, to and be gone. You, know, they, you would think they're going to need to 
you know, turn yeah. over the, this defense yeah. more soon. So that, that's a good transition to like the looking ahead to the decade. Do you feel like what do you what is your take on whether they have to pay whatever it takes to keep Tory Krug or can you let him walk? You know, I, I went back and I looked to see like where is he now from where guys his age were very good mm-hmm. defense. There's really not that big of a difference. It's a, you know, I mean, I, I see guys his age, you know, in the seven and a half million dollar range. Right. I, I don't think that's too much to pay to mm-hmm. keep him. But the thing about him, and it's one of the best things about him as a player, you know, and the, you know, the possibility of a hometown discount. We know he loves this team. But he cannot stand to be sold short right. on anything right. ever. And if you try to do that with him, yeah. you're going to pay. So I don't think they're going to get him you know, on the quote-unquote quote right. quote cheap. So okay. that, that's, that's going to be a tough yeah. one because I don't think he'd say, like, all right, I'll take a little bit. I just think that really, really rubs him the wrong way. And motivates him sure. into the player that he oh is now, for sure. You know, yeah. I mean, I don't have to rehash my take. Everyone who listens to this Gate podcast knows what I say about Tory Crew. But my big thing right now is, if he's going to cash in, like, he, like we're talking about, if we're going to, if he's going to go eight nine million, what good team has the cap space to give him that kind of money where he can win the way he does here? That's the biggest thing to me is that the guy loves to win more than anything. I think, and are you going to get that somewhere else? Certainly not in Detroit. Certainly not a lot of places that would have the money to spend on him. So I just wonder yeah. if, if he has to just realize that if he gets seven years, that kind of makes up for the fact that you're not making nine on it. You know what I mean? And, and, and you get the win here. And, and I think to his advantage now, I mean, we've seen, what are we, in the third year, seeing Charlie McAvoy. Right. And I don't really have any problem with Charlie McAvoy, <laughs> except for the fact that I don't see him as, you know, right at this point, sure. being disciplined enough, you know, um, under control enough to run a power play. I think Krug is a genius at the power play, and he's with tremendous people. I mean, so that's you know that's where he's always going to get his points. I mean, is there is there another situation out there where right. you know somebody will you know pay that money? But also, you got to put him with people. Mm-hmm. So I mean, this is really a perfect situation for him. But you know, the one he's not like a renegade or anything. But right. it's like, do not you know, do not underestimate me. Mm-hmm. Do not try to right. So. He can be stubborn, I think. So I do want to wrap this episode up, but you did say about Chara has to be gone. You think this is the Dano's last year? Oh, I just think it's his last decade. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I still don't. I, you know, if you look at left side guys, it's, it's you know, Krug, we don't even know. I mean, right. Grizzly guy. Yeah. Who's going to do that job? Right. You know? I mean, I already think they are a little bit too limited on defense mm-hmm. when it comes to killing penalties. Right. Carlo's the only other one. Well, McAvoy has size. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just think McAvoy is a is a huge factor. Right. You know, I just feel like I said like he just I don't know if his like mind goes faster than his body or whatever. Right. But he just you know, I just don't think he's like under control enough um, to actually establish himself as the guy that can go up and do every single thing and do it really well. Right. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much more less money Z can take. Right. You know. But I mean, can't wait till he makes seven hundred thousand next year. I was going to say, like, <laughs> can he can he be the, you know? But um, 
I don't know if it would be his last year or not. Yeah. I don't, I don't I, see my, my, off. my gut feeling on that changes every other week. Depending on what's going on, it's very weird. Yeah, who played well in Providence last week? Yeah, right. Like or or even just watching him and just thinking, does he really want to do this anymore? And then he'll, yeah. have, a, he'll have a great game, and I go, oh, of course he does. And then it's just I can't keep up. So just just to put a bow on it, I mean, we, I started the podcast by rehashing what was a glorious decade for the mm-hmm. Boston Bruins, no matter what morons on the radio want to tell you. Uh, with the prospects you've seen, with the the core that we see that's aging, but maybe he's ready to pass it on. I mean, Charlie Coyle's resigned, and mm-hmm. they've inked these guys. Do you have the feeling that this is going to be another great decade? I, as good as this one, <laughs> I kind of I don't know if I see it. You know, right. just because it's somebody has to get better. You know, some 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 of these teams have to get right. better. Um, some of the, these teams have right. to pass the Bruins. Mm-hmm. You know, the the prospects are. You know, it's totally struck gold with a guy like you know Pasternak. You know, mm-hmm. but is, is is there someone else in there? Have have they developed a goalie? Right. You know, is there maybe maybe a center? Maybe they're a little bit more covered. Like say, if Krejci, if that if he decides right. this isn't. I mean, I I think they'll still be a good exactly. team. But you know, in a, in, yeah. in a cap era, it's, right? I, I mean, I've said this a million times. Is that? Anyway, I said it in this podcast already. The, the Bergeron Chara. You know, and if you factor in Krejci, Rask, Martian, the guys who've been here since 2011, you look at that leadership group. It's not. It's just so unique. You're never going to find such players that are such at the top of their game can be, and then and they're leaders, and that they really do. I mean, that you do have to toe the line and fit in mm-hmm. with them and be, play a certain way and be a certain way. And we've seen why guys have been sent out of town, even in some crappy trades, whether it's Sagan or Dougie. You know, you don't fit, you're out. And But you're, you're never going to be able to duplicate that. You're just There's just not going to be another Bergeron or Chara. Right. And I'll put, like, my finger on the bow to make it nice and tight. But that's interesting because, you know, they just re- did re-sign Charlie Coyle. And right. I think not necessarily, like, Leadership yet, right? But you know the fact that he can fit in and is important here, right? Um, I think that was a factor. So just to hop back a little bit, will they recognize that with Krug? Because Krug mm-hmm. is right. know, leadership material exactly. too, right? Um, you know, right. does that does that you know help him stay? Does that right. you know, do they add? Do they factor that in? They did with Coyle, right? You know, will they factor? And it absolutely, it should be. I mean, if you look at the next core of leadership, should be Krug, Coyle, Carlo, mm-hmm. Marchand. And you know, and then, and then maybe a couple of the lower bottom six guys. I guess if Wagner's staying now, yeah. he can try to be a leader a little bit as long as he's staying. And you know, he'll kind of replace whatever Bacchus's voice has been. All with. these young guys are so quiet. I mean, and, you <laughs> exactly. know, as, you know, Anders Bjork and right. you know, Danton Heinen. And, right. You know, it's like Corrali is, is is a person exactly that, you know, if, if he sticks around exactly. Know, but uh, more one of those. Uh, Merlot line kind of line leaders because <laughs> right. those guys were great yeah. leaders too. All right, so this is the uh, Skate Podcast, Decade Look Back, Decade Look Ahead with the Bruins. My guest has been Mike Loftus of the Patriot Ledger. You can follow him at Mike Loftus. Yeah. At M. Loftus underscore. Yeah, you just, just, just search for Mike Loftus. You'll find them on there. I'm sure you'll find them on some comedy podcasts. I'm sure his daughter will be talking about him at any comedy club anytime now. So you'll hear more about him. And, again, subscribe on uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, we'll catch you again next week. Happy New Year.